Hi, everyone. My name is Noelle Herman. I'm one of the pastors here, if we haven't met. Um, I'm going to be reading from the book of Isaiah, and if you want to follow along, there's Bibles in the pews in front of you, so I'm on page 595, chapter 35. Um, This is the preaching text for today, and this is the prophet Isaiah speaking words of encouragement to the people of Israel. So Isaiah 35. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals, where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. This is the word of the Lord. All right, good morning, everybody. Merry Christmas. So good to be here. So good to celebrate Christmas with all of you. Um, And as we said before, today is the third Sunday of Advent, which is the day that churches all across the world are focusing together on the theme of joy. And gosh, what a word, right? I mean, joy, that's like one of the best words. It's a word that just saying it out loud fills you with a sense of delight. Take just a moment and think about a time or a memory where you felt like more than just happiness, where you felt joy. Like a time, like where, where time slowed down and nothing else in the world mattered except what was happening right around you. Maybe what comes to mind for you is a first kiss with the person that you love. Maybe it was one of those, one of those classic evenings around a campfire with a proper bottle of whiskey and some really close friends. Maybe it was the relief that came over you when the scan came back clear and cancer-free. When I was preparing my message, I, I took a moment and just kind of closed my eyes to reflect. And, I, I, and what, what immediately came to mind for me was just this, this little flash of a moment um, from last June. And it was one of those classic like Pacific Northwest early summer days. Uh, the grass was freshly mowed. There was pork shoulder smoking on the porch. And I got a chance to lie on the hammock with a good book, only to be immediately interrupted by my three kids running outside, uh, shooting me with a Nerf gun, (laughs) uh, jumping onto the hammock, and just wrestling me, interrupting my moment of reading. 
stinky feet, stinky feet in my face and chaotic tickling all around. And it was one of those moments where life felt like it was at its simple best, like all was right in the world. And it's this kind of joy that all of us long for. Each one of us aches for what is beautiful and what is good and what is right. This thing that always feels just out of reach, but in these little moments of our lives, we catch glimpses of it. And we look for it in the nostalgic memories of the past, and then we look forward with expectation and hope that the future will finally bring this thing that we all long for. Because we aren't satisfied with temporary or fleeting happiness. No, we yearn for permanent and everlasting joy. And it's this kind of yearning that is at the heart of Advent. For many of us in this room, the merriment of a holly jolly Christmas, a good old-fashioned family Christmas, is merely papering over the very real struggles that we face. For some, the holidays are less a time for, for joy. It's more of a sugar high that is meant to obscure the actual grief or the loneliness that we feel, a reminder maybe of loss. In fact, just two days ago, it was my last hour of work before going home to, uh, to be with my family for the weekend. And I spent that last hour of my work week in a hospital room, uh, praying for one of the members of our church who, who was very sick. And as we were in the room, a team of doctors walked in and uh, delivered the news that, uh, that the disease that grandma was facing is terminal and, made, and that she may not even make it till Christmas day. Many of us are going through difficult times right now. And that is not to throw cold water on the joy and the celebration of the Christmas season, but it's a reminder that the veneer of Christmas cheer is insufficient to touch the very real suffering that all of us will experience one year to the next. And so the world will often use words of happiness and joy interchangeably. But in a biblical context, there is a vast difference between the two. You see, happiness is fragile. It's fleeting. It's a quick high that always leaves you wanting. It's something that's connected to achievement or maybe a really great experience, a vacation, uh, a, 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 a really beautiful moment, a wedding, or the birth of a child, possessions maybe. All of these will bring happiness to us, but these can fail you just as quickly as they satisfy you your source of happiness can just as easily become your source of disappointment. Just ask any Timbers or Blazers fan right now. It has been a rough year for Portland sports. But the joy that we're talking about this morning, that is the real stuff. You can smash it against the worst of the world and it won't break because joy roots us in what is true. It transcends our circumstances. The joy that Jesus invites us to experience is not dependent on our circumstances or whether life turns out the way that we want. Our joy, the Christian joy, comes from a confidence that we belong to Jesus, that he is the one that overcomes the darkness of the world in ways that we never could, and that he will come again to make all things new. The difference between happiness and a biblical definition of joy is rooted in its source. As Christians, we believe that the source of all joy 
is Jesus. And that is a wild claim, isn't it? Like, that, is, that, is, that doesn't make much sense if you're not a Christian. But it's true. The heart of the good news that every follower of Jesus for the last two millennia have held to is that God has created every single one of us with intention and purpose, and that we find our greatest source of joy and purpose through our connection, our relationship with God. But that there are these forces that are at work all around us and within us that separate us from God, what we call sin. We have these disordered desires that work against our finding our true joy in God and drive us away from the source of joy instead of towards him chasing after a million lesser pleasures that never satisfied. And left to our own devices, human beings are without hope. But because Jesus, this little baby that we're talking about today, was born in a manger because he came, the son of God, in a human body, and he lived a perfect life, the life that none of us could ever live. And then he died a death on the cross in our place for our sin, the death that every one of us deserved to die in our sin, that because of this suffering, we could experience what Jesus calls eternal life. Now, when I say eternal life, eternal life is not a reference to some kind of like heavenly dwelling someday in the sky. It's more than punching our ticket to heaven. It's not, and eternal life is not about the quantity of time, the length that we will experience it. No, Eternal life is all about the quality of joy. It's life with God that is unhindered by our failures and our faults and our struggles. And so joy, it supernaturally sustains our, we, our weary, excuse me, it supernaturally sustains our weary souls, even in seasons of heartache and injustice and sorrow. Even the darkest valleys in our lives are bright with hope and with peace and with joy and with love because Jesus is our light, the source of true and everlasting joy is Jesus. A few minutes ago, uh, my friend Noel, she read this morning's text from Isaiah 35, which is a poetic metaphor about God's coming kingdom. Like, no one was confused about any of that, right? Haunts and jackals and stuff. Everybody gets it, right? You know, some of these texts are like, they're strange. They're, they're like mysterious. And it's because they are these poetic metaphors that are meant to point us to a reality that is greater than what is right here before us. And from this text, we see... <clears throat> excuse me, a few defining qualities of true joy. And the first one is this, that joy is in the restoration of order. You see, from the early pages of the Bible, we see that the human story is one of separation from God because of sin. And the results of this separation is disorder, disorder of every kind, disordered creation, disordered human systems and governments, disordered relationships, and disordered desires within us that from those early pages, chaos reigns, sin ravages, and injustice prevails. And we don't need to look very deep into the headlines to see this confirmed day after day after day. And the prophet Isaiah uses this metaphor of a desert or of the wilderness to describe the disorder that is across the world in all creation and the disorder that exists within each of us. The wilderness is parched and barren. It's wild and waste. But the arrival of the Messiah, the long-awaited king, would renew and restore 
everything that was disordered. And this is what we read the world looks like when the kingdom of God arrives. It says, the desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it and the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool and thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And this, this is a metaphor, not just of what God will do when he restores all of creation one day, but it's what he does right now in the present time in each one of our lives. He pro- his promise to us is that as we move towards him, that he will begin to take the waste places of our lives, the barrenness, the parched ground, and that he will make it a place of springs, that the disordered will be restored and made new. He brings life to the places where it feels like nothing but wilting and death. And so for just, just for a moment, consider, what would it feel like to know, to have confidence that joy and new life are coming? Where are you walking through a desert right now? What are the waste places in your life, in your relationships, in your family, in your vocation that God can turn into a garden? The second defining quality of joy is this, that joy is in salvation. And salvation is so much more than punching a ticket to heaven someday when we die. No, God's salvation is rescue from the consequences and the effects of sin. That Jesus saves us from the punishment of sin and brings healing to all of the places in our lives that have been broken by sin, by the sin that we commit and the sin that is committed against us. This is what Isaiah writes. He says, strengthen the feeble hands and steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance and with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Now, when Isaiah was writing this, Excuse me, struggling here. When Isaiah was writing this, he was writing to a nation of Israel that was facing foes on every side that would eventually be driven out into exile, first with the Assyrian uh, uh, invasion and then later with the Babylonian invasion. And so for these people, their vision of salvation, of God's salvation, was that he was going to come with vengeance and he was going to strike all of God's people's enemies and that they were going to live free from the threat all around them. But we see that when Jesus, he comes 2,000 years ago, and, and when he was traveling around the Near East, he embodies a whole other way of demonstrating God's vengeance and God's retribution. You see, Jesus comes to show that God didn't come to judge and to crush all of the nations around Israel. God came to judge and to crush the sin that was at work within them and to set them free from the oppressors, not from without, but from within. 
And then he goes about announcing that the kingdom of God had finally arrived in Jesus. And then he demonstrates what that kingdom looks like by going around and healing all of those who were sick and who were in chronic pain and setting people free who were in spiritual bondage and addiction and all the things that plague us. The kingdom of God was one that is marked by freedom and by healing. And Jesus is still doing this today. He is still healing bodies, and he is still freeing those who are caught in addiction. By his grace, he is restoring relationships and families. He touches broken minds and emotionally dark spaces. Jesus saves, and he heals. And this, my friends, is great joy. And so consider for a moment. Think about your own life. Where do you need God's salvation? Where do you feel most afraid or without hope? What are the spaces in your life where you need the rescue and healing? And then hear these words from Isaiah. Be strong. Don't fear. Your God will come. He will come to save you. One more defining quality of joy before we invite the kids to come up and be adorable. One last quality, that joy is for those who follow the king. Isaiah, he, point, he paints a picture that's bigger than just kind of like a wilderness being made new and that we can live in this renewed wilderness. He actually paints the picture of a highway a poetic metaphor of a road toward the kingdom of God. And this road is called the way of holiness. But this road isn't holy because it's designated only for those who fulfill a certain requirement or who live or behave a certain way or who are just pure enough to be able to get on the road. No, this road is holy because of where it's going. The way is holy. And all who walk on it are made holy. In John 14, Jesus says this, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way. He is the highway. He is the road to true life with God in his kingdom. And so we are not left alone to figure, out by, figure it all out by ourselves. Our King Jesus walks with us along the road, guiding us every step of the way. And he says that as we go on this journey, as we walk this road of holiness towards the kingdom of God, there will be joy. Verse 9, but only the redeemed will walk there, and those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. My friends, this is not just a promise of someday something good will happen that we can only imagine in metaphor. This is actually an invitation to each of us today that this joy is available right now. The invitation to every one of us, whether you are a Christian and have been walking with Jesus for years or you are brand new to this whole thing and have never set foot in a church before in your life, the invitation is the same. Will you join Jesus on the road? And we do this by placing our trust in him as Lord. 
You see, when Jesus arrived on the scene announcing this glorious kingdom that was coming, he called people to repent. And repentance is not to grovel or to weep and wail and gnash and feel terrible about yourself. The, the call to repentance is simply to change your orientation. He's calling out to every single one of us that you're going on the wrong path in the wrong direction. Turn around. Face me. Walk with me. Walk with me on the path to true life. And as we walk in the way of holiness with Jesus, our guide, our good shepherd, our king, he restores order to our lives. He offers us salvation. Jesus heals all of the brokenness and the pain. And Jesus leads us on the way to everlasting joy. If you have never taken this step to follow Jesus, he's extending this invitation to you this morning. And he's saying, don't settle for the flimsy happiness that's dependent on circumstances. Don't look for the next sugar high in a Christmas cookie or a Christmas movie or a gift or whatever it is that's, on, that's, that's next on the menu. Your life can actually be marked with joy, no matter what life throws at you. And so at the end of our service, after the pageant and the kids do sing, sing songs and everything, we're going to have some people who are right up here up front that would love to pray with you if you would just like to ask some questions or explore what it would look like to take a step towards Jesus. I would love to talk and pray with you. Please come and find me. Um, but don't leave here this morning if you're walking on the wrong path. Will you pray with me? Jesus, you are our joy. And we delight in you, God. We delight in the way that you reorder our lives. We delight in your salvation and your healing. And we delight that you never leave us nor forsake us. And so, Jesus, I pray for my friends across this room this morning that you would speak to each one of our hearts inviting us beyond the spectacle of the season and into relationship with you. I pray that everyone in this room would experience the joy of your presence in their lives this morning. We love you, Lord. We bless you and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.